You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Welcome to Honey Do Me. Hello, you filthy, filthy whore. I'm you Emma. filthy, dirty sluts. I'm Cass. <laughs> and this is our fucking podcast, you dumb bitch. Bitch. <laughs> Do you like that? You, was that hot? Was that Did we degrade hot? you real nice? <laughs> Do you feel humiliated and embarrassed? Because that's what we're talking about today. Because we want you to feel humiliated and degraded, but in the <laughs> hottest way possible. Hot, yeah, not just walking around all stupid-like. Like, we want you Mm-mm. to feel hot. Exactly. So um, we brought on none other than Dr. Liz, just the most amazing. They were on to talk about fisting last time, and they blew our fucking minds. Blew um, me yet again. Yeah. They have blown our hyonis wide open. Um <laughs> And we're just ready to be called dirty little sluts. I don't know. (laughs) It was so interesting. Like we've been wanting to approach this topic being people who thought we had no experience in degradation Mm -hmm. play. And then we were rocked. Like Mm -hmm. one, yes, we've had experience. And two, (laughs) when you go into examples, uh, like I couldn't think. Dr. Liz enough for giving examples because it was just there were times I didn't even know if I should be laughing, but I just started laughing because I was like Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, but so interested. How do I process this turn on this in front of everyone (laughs) in front of the world that is listening Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. us and looking for guidance? Uh, Well, it's hard to be. It is. It is. But we navigate it. Um, as the boss ass bitches we are, mm-hmm. I do want to say, uh, Doctor Liz, after we had stopped recording, mm-hmm. told us um, my favorite story I have ever heard, yeah. and that includes all bedtime stories. I was told as a young gal, mm-hmm. um, they were the um, the fisty in a fisting competition. I'll leave it there. You you mull mull over that. They were the fisty. Um, but Emma, you want to tell them where that fisting competition took place? I mean, at a convention. Is that what you mean? I mean, at the hotel. Oh. <laughs> at the Sheridan Hotel. <laughs> it was at the Sheridan, <laughs> where all fisting competitions are held. Yeah. So just go to like your locale Sheridan mm-hmm. and ask for, well, pay for a pass. Um, don't mm-hmm. be a looky loo. Just be curious. <laughs> yeah. Be curious. Yeah. It's in like, um, Dr. Liz was saying you actually have to be like kind of exclusive to the group to get access to mm-hmm. where they hold the conference. You literally can't just walk in. I was like, what if they're trying to go to the buffet, but they walk into someone being fisted? It's like, no, it's not like that. 
then they just walk into gaping. I hope not. You'd fall into gaping. (laughs) (laughs) What if they just tumble into gaping? But Dr. Liz has a lot of stories like that. And Mm -hmm. so we're considering just having an episode where they come on and talk about some stories at conventions, man. God, they just... I didn't know my mind could be blown quite so open. Quite quite as wide as two fists and a vagina. But it it did. Yeah. I thought I had a, a grasp on the world. Um, I don't. <laughs> I, I had some type of grip. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and also it was almost two fists inside of mm-hmm. Dr. Liz at yeah. this convention. So, so visualize that. But they also are experts on degradation and humiliation, humiliation play. So humiliation. humiliation. Um, um, and this episode's freaking awesome. So we hope you enjoy. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Uh, Hi, everybody. I am Dr. Liz. I am a psychologist, author, and speaker uh, specializing in sexual and gender minority populations. So queer folks, trans folks, kinky folks, polyamorous folks, all of us weirdos out on the margins. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming back on. Last time we spoke with Dr. Liz, it was about fisting. Mm -hmm. And this week, we have a equally as interesting topic that we are so stoked to speak with you about um degradation and degradation play mm-hmm. specifically <laughs> not just out in society <laughs> shitting on people so no, there's so much of that right now we don't need to like amp up that part that's not the fun part not the fun part we want to talk about degradation play in the bedroom so can you first explain what that is Sure. So humiliation and degradation play is a subset of what we often consider to be psychological kink play. Basically what it is, is it's ways that we engage with acts or words or uh, experiences that we might find embarrassing or humiliating or degrading uh, in a kink context or a sexualized or sensualized context. Uh, For a lot of people, This is considered what we in the kink community often call edge play. So edge play is stuff that has some greater potential for danger or uh, for for potential harm. And so you have to be a little bit more cautious in the way that you do it. And as with a lot of edge play things like choking, it's done by a lot of people who don't consider themselves to be kinky uh, and who don't necessarily understand like the ways to negotiate it, how to control for possible harms, all of those different elements. Mm -hmm. Could you give some examples of what degradation might sound like or look like? Sure. So like if you've ever called your partner like a dirty whore or, you know, said that they're a filthy slut or, you know, anything that's about these kinds of for a lot of people, what degradation and humiliation play ends up being is a way to, kind of explore and play with the kinds of things that scare us either about ourselves or the world. The things that we are worried are true, the things we are told could be true about ourselves. It's kind of a way to engage in shadow work in a more kind of contained, sexualized experience. Um, So like for a lot of us who are socialized as women or treated as women, the internet is full of frustrated men who want to tell us that we're sluts and whores, especially if we're, you know, sexually liberated and enjoy having sex. And for some of us, a way that we process that 
fear and that pain and that like lowercase t trauma is to have someone who we know doesn't believe that about us, who really cares about us and sees us, help us engage with those terms, those fears, those words, so that we can kind of face that fear and engage with it and experience it, but come out of it. If you think about roller coasters, right? Roller coasters are like getting thrown to your death, but then you walk off and you're fine. A lot of kink is the same idea. You're taking this thing that activates parts of your body and your brain that deal with threat or fear, and you're giving it a safe space to experience that and come out of it okay. Because one thing we know from trauma treatment is that a big thing that creates long-term trauma symptoms is avoidance patterns. That when we've had something terrible happen to us, we tend to want to avoid any reminders of it, anything related to it. And that avoidance can start giving our brain the idea that the little tiny things that it latched onto as possible signs of trouble are actually definitely signs of trouble. And our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller as we withdraw from those kind of false warning signs. Whereas if we engage with the things that our brain is telling us could be dangerous, but that we know probably aren't, it helps our brain relearn what really is dangerous, what really is a problem. And so this is that along that kind of shame dimension. I'm sure so many of us have read Brene Brown and all of her work on shame. Humiliation and degradation play is a way to do like a shame roller coaster where you get to see what it feels like to be called these things, to be told these things, to be put in these positions or this clothing and have it done by somebody who you know cares about you and is going to pull you out of it at the end. Wow. Yeah. That was so clearly explained to make such great sense. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my favorite topics. Um, A thing that I tell folks, I teach classes on humiliation play sometimes. And something that I tell folks is that as a psychologist, in a lot of ways, humiliation play is like the dark side version of my therapist skills. You know, as a therapist, what we learn is how to identify like where the things are that are causing problems for people, the things that are stuck, the things that are thorny for them, and then to help like gently guide them through and around it. And in a kink humiliation context, you're finding those same points and you're pressing on them a little to help it release. So it's the difference between like a nice gentle soothing massage and like a deep tissue, you know, structural massage. Mm -hmm. Like hurts so good. Yeah. So good. What's the difference between degradation and humiliation? So usually, particularly in a kink context, we will talk about the words embarrassment, humiliation, and degradation as kind of like different degrees along the same spectrum, with embarrassment being kind of the lowest level, where embarrassment is something that happens to a lot of people. We don't necessarily think that we deserve to like feel bad about it. We're not going to hold on to it for years and years. Humiliation being kind of in the middle where like we f- we feel uncomfortable about it. It's starting to pull up some of those shame triggers. It's maybe less common or something we feel like we maybe deserve to feel more shame about. And then degradation being the far end of the spectrum where it's like diving more deeply into that shame space of something we think that we maybe deserve to feel shamed about or that we think is bad about us. So same kind of ideas, just at different points on the spectrum. Got it. This is fascinating. I think I came in with a very different idea of what degradation was. I didn't even think about things like filthy whore or anything like that. 
I was thinking like I'm in a corner and someone's yelling at me that I'm ugly and that's degrading. Like that's what was in my head. And I was like, well, I'm yeah. obviously like I'm not into that. Not obviously. I mean, I'm sure there are people <laughs> into that. I'm not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I've definitely been called a filthy whore and liked it. So it's like yeah, I was going to say your face was very like, I recognize this. Yeah. When <laughs> oh, I so then, I'd love to hear like from you. What do you like about that when it happens? Like, what is it about that moment that feels spicy for you? I think it feels sexy and fun in a way that I don't typically feel sexy. Like outside mm -hmm. of that context, like I ironically don't see myself as a super sexual person. And so I think getting called a word that I do associate with being like hypersexual feels really fun and really empowering. Um, so I think that's it for me. And it does feel a little like taboo, I think, at the same mm -hmm. time where it's like, oh, I wouldn't want my neighbor to hear me called that, but <laughs> I think we have thin walls, so... <laughs> You wouldn't want it on your license plate. Yeah, like that's well, not that's that not would the be kind of really fun. <laughs> Honestly, on my Kia Soul, I think that would be sick. On my Kia Soul, <laughs> says whore. <laughs> I'm filthy whore. Yeah, on your Kia Soul with your little crystal in the rear view mirror. Yeah, like, okay, so I'm ritual. Into, I'm into it. Um, yeah, I think that's the primary reasons I like it. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, again, that's what we're talking about here, right? That for a lot of people, this kind of play is about engaging with pieces of themselves that are less acceptable in the outside world or that are less common for them in terms of how they interact with themselves. And it is a huge wide spectrum. There are people who do much more heavy, hardcore degradation scenes where it is like, terrible, terrible things being said to you or asking you to do acts that you find super degrading and humiliating. You know, a classic example most people have probably heard of is like making someone lick a toilet bowl. Like that is disgusting. I would never do that as a bottom. I don't know that I can make somebody do that as a top, but like it is somebody's kink and great for them. And part of what they find so shameful about that is that it is gross and taboo and you're not supposed to do it. And they're being forced to do this thing that is so filthy and dirty. Similarly, a really common form of humiliation play that people talk about is cisification or forced feminization, where a person who is a almost always a cisgender man is dressed up in girly clothing and called a girl and often pegged or forced to suck a cock. And it's this way of engaging with our internalized homophobia and our internalized misogyny and the ways that these axes of power and oppression tell us like what is good to be, what is bad to be, and to kind of dance around and play with that and face like what is true about that within us. Mm -hmm. Damn. And I'm sure the answer to this is no, because we're all about consent. But when we're talking about these acts or these behaviors that feel so gross and humiliating and like cringy, are the people who are engaging in them always happy to be doing what they're doing? Like, is this always an act that they're like, in the back of their mind, they're turned on? Or is the point to not necessarily be turned on in the moment? I mean, I think it super depends. I think that when you're talking about anything that humans do, they can be doing it for reasons and in ways that are super healthy and beneficial and, you know, good for them. And they can be doing it in ways that are super harmful and hurtful for them. And a lot of it depends upon 
their relationship to what they're doing, why they're doing it, where it's coming from, who they're doing it with. Um, the same way that some people, when they have a lot of sex, are doing it in a way that for them feels super empowering and joyful and beautiful. And some people, when they have a lot of sex, are doing it in a way to seek validation or to punish themselves. You know, there's no necessary one way that this has to go. I think that some people are turned on by the taboo, which honestly makes a ton of sense if you think about how our culture works, because most of us, when we learn about sex, learn about how dirty, gross, and wrong it is unless you do it with the person you love who you're going to get married to and have babies with. So for almost all of us, our sexy wires and our shame wires are super twisted together because almost all of the things that we learn about sex are given this overtone of shame, of, of grossness, of taboo, of how wrong it is for us to do things. And so it would make sense that for a lot of us, when we're feeling shame, that might also pull on those kind of sexy, sensual triggers as well. I think that there are some times that you're doing a humiliation scene and in it, it's super hot and you're enjoying it. And there are some times you're doing a humiliation scene and what's really hot is how bad you feel about it. And like, that's so complicated to understand, but I think we've all had those moments where it's the taboo that makes it hot or it's getting through it that makes it super hot, that there are so many different aspects of it that might be hot for us or less hot for us and healthy for us or less healthy for us. Wow. Mind blown, first of all, by all yeah. of that. And I just, the tie of shame and sex, even just in our regular sex, makes a ton of sense. And then just looping that in with the degradation and hum humiliation, like, I don't know, that's blowing my mind. Yeah, you connected <laughs> some major dots in like... Yeah, you sure did. Damn. <laughs> If well, you are, you know, in our culture, we're so bad about talking openly about sex and about what we enjoy and who we are. Mm -hmm. And we live in, particularly here in the United States, a culture where we see that men and people who perceive as men are supposed to say yes to sexual offers and no to relational ones. People we see as women are supposed to say yes to relational offers and no to sexual ones that like when we get to be empowered fully in our sexuality is very rare for people of every gender because a lot of cisgender straight men feel like they can't really say no to sex. Like they're supposed to just say yes. Even if it's not that great for them, it should be fine. Cause like, it's fine. They're supposed to want that. And people who are cisgender women often feel like this is the token you have to offer to get the relationship you want. That like you have to give the sex that this person wants, even if it's not great for you, because that's how you get the relationship that you're actually seeking. And so for so many people, they don't have a healthy relationship to what it looks like to be empowered in their sexuality, to be present to their own yeses and nos. And all of that cultural shame and taboo mixes in with that as well, making it even messier and more complicated. Absolutely. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it gets complicated. Fuck. If you're somebody like me who brought in a lot of preconceived notions around what degradation and humiliation mean, what are some indicators that it still might be for you? Like if you've liked this, you might really like this or kind of those things. I mean, I think that like if you've ever had that like naughty taboo feeling and that's been fun and, and a turn on for you, then there might be elements of this that you want to explore. And I think 
with so many things in the kink sphere in particular, I think a lot of folks, when they think of kink, they think of like the most extreme edge cases of what that looks like. And it's not that that isn't a part of kink, but there's so much more to it. There's so much more nuance. You can have humiliation or degradation just be like a little spice that you sprinkle on top of an otherwise completely vanilla sexual encounter. Or you can have it be the core of what you are doing and have it be not like no sexual contact happening there at all. And it is just the humiliation and degradation and everything in between. Like there is, there are so many ways to engage with it. It's not something that is all or nothing. It's something that has a lot of variation. You can just do a playful little like, oh, you like that, don't you? You're so filthy for liking that. And that's a little moment in that humiliation zone. And that's not super extreme. I don't think most people would think of that as like a super extreme thing to do during sex. And so I think that a lot of it is about kind of reexamining your assumption about what it means to engage with kink in different ways. That kink is not always going to 11. Kink can be anywhere across the spectrum. It can be very quiet and soft and small. It can be big and loud and explosive. There's a lot of ways that it can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's um so important i feel like to bring the fact that everything has nuance to things that feel so unapproachable like or not unapproachable but unapproachable to people like Cass and i who are like feel like we've never engaged in humiliation or degradation but love to be called a filthy whore you know everything yeah. has look nuance. i love being called a filthy whore it's great it's fantastic <laughs> it's so much fun <laughs> yeah. i love it um, I, I literally can't wait to get into examples. So I'm physically restraining myself from asking for, for some, <laughs> um, because I feel like before we can talk about different ways to engage, we need to talk about boundaries. So if you're someone who wants to engage and you have a partner, how do you discuss boundaries and safe words and like how far you can go, um, yeah. with this type of play? So I actually, I have a worksheet I made for this because I teach a class on humiliation play and I'll send y'all a link to that uh, so you can put it in the show notes. Uh, But I think there's a lot of different aspects to look at. And I think safe words is part of it. Uh, Depending upon how much like role playing-ish stuff you're doing in a scene, your safe words might be super clear, like red, yellow, green, your safe words might be just safe word. It might be just straight up communication of like, Ooh, I don't like that phrase. Let's try a different one. How about this instead? Um, or it might be, you know, more creative in terms of how you're communicating that. Um, also, I think a thing that's important to be aware of if you're negotiating, doing some humiliation or degradation play is just like what types of things are game for you and which ones aren't. So like for me, if someone wants to call me a whore or a slut or any of those things, like that's totally fine. Like I'm down for that with like, even for like pickup play at a kink event, like that's totally fine. But talking about my body shape and me being overweight or fat, that's a much more sensitive topic for me right now. And so that's the kind of thing that I would only do with someone who I know super well and have a whole lot of trust with so that I know for sure that that is not really what they're thinking. And I think that, you know, the same way that you don't want to do an impact play scene when you really want to hit your partner, you don't want to do a humiliation play scene about things that you actually believe because then it's not play. (laughs) Like that's... Mm -hmm. 
that's just straight up abuse. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) uh, checking in with yourself about like which things are more accessible for you. I also tell people a lot of times that part of this play is you might find landmines by stumbling over them. You may not know that a particular word or phrase or activity or piece of clothing or whatever it is, is going to like hit a button for you that's super rough. And so it's helpful if you're negotiating adding this in to plan for aftercare that's not just if things go right, but also a if things go wrong aftercare plan where if something happens that one of you is super hurt by how it went, you have people who can support you and help you with your aftercare who aren't just that person that you were doing a scene with. Um, Aftercare in the kink community is something we talk about a lot. And it's basically like all the stuff you do after a scene to make sure that people are able to return to like baseline everyday consciousness, that they feel like held and seen and cared for, that you kind of debrief over what you did, check back in about how things are going. And most people, when they negotiate for aftercare, negotiate again for like best case scenario, like scene went pretty well, nothing terrible happened, we're doing all right, here's what I need. But whenever we're playing with brains and feelings, because we can't see how the things that we're doing are affecting someone, we need to be a little bit more cautious and plan for more worst case scenarios. If I'm hitting someone with a flogger, I can see on their skin how things are going. It's very clear to see how red their skin is getting, whether there are bruises, if there are welts. I can touch it. I can see it. It's very easy to assess. Where with brains and feelings, it can be much more complicated and it can be a time bomb sometimes where like for a couple days, it's kind of okay. And then it just like explodes out of nowhere. And so I think that there's a greater degree of care we have to take after doing any of these scenes to make sure that we understand what are we going to do if things go well? What are we going to do if things go wrong? How are we going to keep checking in for longer afterwards to make sure that everybody's doing all right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any specific suggestions for feeling like guilty or shamey after like if you're like yeah I totally consented to that I wanted to do it thought I would like it but now I'm feeling guilty that I even wanted to do it like I've had experiences where it's like I've watched you know a porn video and then I'm like oh I feel kind of guilty that I watched that like I wish I didn't look some of the stuff I've read on AO3 look I understand the a little bit of like oh I just got off to that wow that was a thing um, Cass might know a thing or two about that with a book she just uh, read. I just read a whatever. stupid Which, book. Oh. <laughs> oh, I need all about this. Um, but I think, you know, what I would say is that reassurance is super, super helpful here. And just like reaching out to people you were playing with for reassurance or reaching out to people who are into the same kind of stuff can be super helpful. And this is one where like it's up up. up It is applicable for both tops and bottoms. Uh, I have done scenes where I was topping someone and after the scene was done, I had to sit down and realize that the things that came out of my mouth had been in my brain somewhere. And does that make me a terrible person? (laughs) Um, And I think that that is, you know, that kind of like regret that kind of like Monday morning quarterbacking of like, should I have even Mm -hmm. wanted this? Why was I into it? Why was it hot? Is there something wrong with me? Is super common around these kinds of things because again, our culture is so specific about the kinds of things that we are allowed to be into, the things that we are allowed to find hot without being terrible, gross perverts. And like some of us have embraced being a terrible, gross pervert, but (laughs) I think that it is really important to like remind yourself that like, 
if everybody consented and nobody is hurt, you didn't do anything wrong. And reach out to your partner and be like, that was like, it was hot while we were doing it. Right. And like, you don't really think these things about me. I don't really think these things about you. We both thought it was super hot. Okay. And what do we actually think about each other as people? Right. And just remind yourselves about like what you really do believe about each other, how you really do feel about each other, because that can be such a beautiful closing for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Being... if you want examples, I have so many stories that I could tell. <laughs> oh, we want examples. We <laughs> want so many, at least I do. Um, but one question that I was thinking while you were uh, talking about kind of where to start is like what it what I don't know if insecurities is the right word, but how do you know what to let someone play with that won't be pushed too far? You know, you're like, oh, I kind of hate my arms. I don't know. Like you can tease me about that and I'll be okay. Like where do you begin with what things you'll let people either embarrass you about or humiliate you? I mean, I think what I would say is that the easiest place to start is with stuff that like outer context said is bad, says is bad about you, but you don't think is bad about you. So like someone calling me a slut, like there are lots of people in the outside world who think that that's a bad thing, but like, I'm totally good with it. Like I love having lots of sex with lots of people. I don't feel badly about myself at all for that. So like, that's an easy one to access. I don't believe that it's true. Other people Mm -hmm. might. So it's really accessible to find things to say and ways to to talk about and and use that in a scene, but like it's not going to hit me super deeply. And so I would say like the more that you believe that it might be true, the more delicate you want to be about it and the more gently you want to approach it. And again, you may just end up finding stuff that isn't working for you. Like this is this is the kind of play where sometimes you don't know that it's going to be a no for you until you hit it. And so it may be more helpful the first times that you're playing with this to do some like experimentation dates rather than like scenes where you just kind of sit down and the person's like, what if I called you a filthy whore? And you check in with your body and you're like, ooh, that's a sexy one. And they're like, what if I called you a stupid idiot? And you're like, ooh, that felt Mm. not great. Let's not do that one. And you just kind of run through different ideas to see which ones are getting you those positive reactions that you want, which ones are getting you reactions that don't feel as good for you to give yourself some information outside of an already like sexualized or centralized context. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And I really, I immediately got the like sexiness of using something that society would deem as wrong or bad about you, but you don't believe about yourself. I think that's the other side of how, of why we also like being called like filthy whores. It's like, or slutty or something, you know, it's, it's like someone else is telling me it's wrong, but like, we think it's a great thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of reclamation here. The same way that a lot of marginalized communities are often reclaiming the slurs that are thrown at them, reclaiming the harmful stereotypes about themselves. A lot of times this is another zone of reclamation where we take the things that society at large or other people would say about us as a problem and instead claim them as our own, as something that like we are into about ourselves, that we enjoy about ourselves, that our partners enjoy about us. And I think that acts of reclamation are so important and so powerful for us to engage in. And this is a beautiful zone to do it in. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot more sense. Um, Like that's a great perspective of understanding like name calling, because that's something that I never really understood when it's like, but it's so mean. (laughs) But then 
that makes a lot of sense. So you have mentioned multiple times different examples. So I don't know yes. where should we begin? Should we start with embarrassment and work our way towards uh, degradation? I mean, so examples that I can give from like scenes that I've done, I can give across kind of a different subsection of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've had like more than I can count scenes where I'm called like a dirty whore or a filthy slut. Like that's just, that's like, hey, how's it going? A lot of times in kink communities, <laughs> yeah. like that's, you know, because mm-hmm. most of us already are filthy perverts and we know that about ourselves. <laughs> um, I think, you know, uh, some scenes that I've done in the past that played kind of along that axis. Um, I did a scene this past weekend that was a demo for a class I was teaching on gender fuckery. And part of the demo was that my demo bottom is a cisgender man who likes dressing in more feminine clothing. And he's got some more feminine features. He doesn't fall into like stereotypical cis man ideas of what it looks like or how they behave. And a lot of our scene was about me noting the things on him that were more traditionally feminine and praising his manness in those things. And it created for him a lot of this kind of like uncomfortable, squirmy embarrassment to be told that like, oh, that mesh shirt looks amazing on you. Those floral underwear, the way that you as a man are wearing those floral undies are phenomenal. It is so hot to see the contrast of your leg hair and the beautiful floral mesh. Like I am dying for this, that manliness right there with the softness, right? And for him, it was deeply uncomfortable in some ways and also very much building him up. And so it was this combination of both of like, and for me personally as well, if I'm bottoming for humiliation, something that makes it way more intense is that mix of praise and humiliation of like, you're the most perfect whore I've ever seen. I'm like, ah, because <laughs> I hate receiving compliments, uh, as so many of us do. And so it like amps it up in its own special way. Um, and it makes these things a good thing. And so I think lower level scenes can often be about those kinds of things um, or like someone being clumsy. If someone's like not good at walking in high heels, just putting them in some high heels and talking about like, are you going to twist your ankle? What's going on, honey? Like, do you need to hold on to something? What are we doing? Is this, is this a terrible idea? Do you need flats? It's so sad we didn't bring flats. Uh, and just kind of like ribbing at things that are like smaller, more behavioral, more choice oriented, things that are a little bit easier to access. Um In terms of like mid-level, like more humiliation type things, um, the way that I think about this level is it's not going into things that are your most tender spots, but it's going into things that are a little tender for you, that have a little bit of that edge. They feel a little bit more dangerous. Not that they are dangerous, but they feel that little bit. And so uh, this could be scenes with you know, for me, as someone who is uh, not a cis person and a lot of marginalizations, this could be like, you know, you're so lucky that you're such a filthy whore because at least you'll have people to fuck, right? Like this like kind of, it's hitting a little bit, but like, I know we're good, (laughs) right? It hits a little bit deeper, (laughs) cuts a little bit more. Uh Uh, And so this might be looking at like aspects of yourself that you have like worked on and come to terms with and accepted now, but have maybe a more complicated history with. And so things that 
are mostly healed, but maybe tender. Um, where like degradation. So a scene I did long, long, long time ago. Um, I so I got married when I was twenty three. We separated when I was twenty six. It was not a good marriage. It was a very emotionally abusive marriage. And one of the aspects of that is that we really didn't have much sex. And when I would try to talk to him about it, he would talk about how I had put on weight and that he wasn't attracted to me anymore and kind of made it my fault a bunch. Uh, And so when we separated, I had a person I was playing with and he, uh, we agreed to do this scene. That was going to be a kind of heavier scene to dig into some of this stuff And so the scene's premise was we were going to have various kinds of sex. And while we were doing it, he was going to tell me that like I was doing a terrible job and was never going to get him off doing what I was doing. And so it was this whole play of like trying to please him and like do the thing that he wanted and being told that I was failing at it over and over again. And I was like bawling my eyes out while we did it. It was super painful. And then as soon as we finished, the first thing that he said was, oh my God, you have no idea how hard it was to not come. It was so amazing every moment. And I had to do everything in my power in order to not come. Like I, that was the hardest scene I've ever done. And what made it beautiful was that like immediate flip of like all of those things that he had been saying that I had been experiencing that related to this emotional abuse I had just gotten out of were proven wrong immediately because all of it had been a lie. Like none of it was about me. It was all stuff that he was doing because we had negotiated it, but he was telling me how wrong all of it was and how hard it was to stay in this place and in this character. And I think that that's where this can be such a healing experience because if you've had people say things this like this to you seriously, you can start to worry that they're true. I think so many of us, you know, have gotten into places of the things these people are saying about me. I don't think they're true, but I've heard them so many times. Like, am I wrong? Am I the one who is crazy here? Like, maybe this is right. Maybe I am really terrible at this stuff. Like, maybe I am really unattractive. Maybe nobody does want to fuck me. Maybe I am bad at all these things. And having someone let you go there and feel it and then tell you how wrong all of it was, it's the best uh, comparison I could give is uh, one of my favorite shows on Netflix recently was Physical 100, which is this bananas Korean show to find like the best physique in Korea. And it's like Olympians and uh, special forces officers and like all kinds of people. And they all come in to find busts of themselves. And they're all talking about how bad their body is compared to everybody else's bodies. And to hear an Olympic gold medalist talk about how their body is not as good as other people's bodies tells you how bullshit all of it is. Mm. <laughs> that like mm-hmm. all of the bodies, <laughs> like nobody's, nobody is happy with their body. Everybody hates their body. So... <laughs> why am I hating mine so hard if these people whose bodies I would kill for are talking about how bad their body is? And that's kind of what this experience is in this deeper degradation level is all of this stuff that we are told is wrong and broken and bad about us could be bullshit. And what if it is bullshit? What if we let ourselves go into it and really face it rather than running from it or pretending it's not there or avoiding it? And then we get to see just how bullshit it is. That was really fucking beautiful. Yeah. Talk that is a kink roller coaster though. 
That is living on the edge mm-hmm. with that, though. It was fucking hard. It was yeah. rough, but it was great. Absolutely. So it, was there any moment in the scene when you were bawling your eyes out that the person you were with was like, do I stop? <laughs> like, is this the end? Or is this like we needed to push through that moment? So we were both fairly experienced kink players. Mm-hmm. And... I think that if we had been less experienced or if we had less trust with each other, probably there would have been points where he checked in differently than he did. But I think that by the point we were doing that scene, he understood me well enough to be able to like know where he could push and how far he could push it before it had to be something that we stopped and checked in about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for me... Like, it's hard to say for sure whether it would have been better or worse with different kinds of check-ins or more check-ins. But I think that part of what made it a super healing scene for me was that I got to go so deep into the worry of it being true that I needed for myself to face that. I needed to dive into that fear and that uncertainty and that insecurity and really let myself see it so that I could come out of it. I think a lot of us, we get trapped by the things we're trying to avoid. We we have these things that we stuff into the back of our mental and emotional closets and we think that we've gotten rid of them, but instead they're just like pulling the strings from the background. Mm-hmm. And for me at that time in my life, I think what I really, really needed was someone to help me just go all the way into it, bring it out into the light, into the foreground so that I could really actually engage with it and see what was true and what wasn't. Mm-hmm. And like on the top side. So <laughs> I did a, a really fun scene at a conference once with a friend of mine where we co-topped his submissive and what she really liked for humiliation play was being told that she was stupid. She liked being told that she was too stupid to understand things and like it was a very like mental capacity degradation scene. And she's a very smart person. So like a thing that we all know is not true. And because they had a very long-term established relationship, I kind of followed his cues in terms of like how deep and hard we went because he knew her super well. And I could also read, like I can read the body language of like, is this person shutting down or is this still working, right? Like, are we still in a space where this is processing or have we gotten to a space where this is causing harm and closing someone off? But when we finished that scene, I think I needed more reassurance than she did because I said horrible (laughs) things to her. I said unbelievably terrible things to this person. And the only way that that could have happened is if there was some part of my brain that heard those messages and held on to them somehow. Like there was some piece of me deep inside with my internalized ableism that none of us can avoid that had those things. And I needed after that scene to know that this was fun and hot for her and that she knew that I didn't really believe that about her and that I wasn't a terrible, awful monster for saying those things to her and going to that place with her. And I think that that's different than a lot of other kink play. A lot of kink play I think that there is a general misperception that like tops don't need aftercare or like the tops are always fine and kink is about the bottom. And there are ways in which that can be true. But I think that the harder that you play and the edgier that you play, the more that everyone involved 
needs a lot of like reassurance and aftercare that they aren't a terrible monster for the things that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like you don't have to go hard, but if you do, that reassurance is like so, so, so key for this kind of thing. The same way that like, if you were doing a super heavy impact scene, you would want to know that they aren't like experiencing actual damage to their muscles or their internal organs. And you might want really hot bruise pictures because sometimes bruise pictures are super hot. Like seeing the damage that you inflicted on someone that they thoroughly enjoyed, so super enjoyable for some of us. Uh, But like knowing that she enjoyed it, this was still fun. This was not coming from a bad place for her. This was still healthy and good for her and that she appreciated it. She was so happy that I went that deep with her, that I trusted her enough to go that deeply, that I trusted my co-top enough to go that deeply. Like that made it okay for me because without that reassurance, I would have felt like a terrible human being (laughs) for saying some of the things that I said. Right. Well, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, when you're, when you're, spewing some stuff you're like I don't know where the fuck this is coming from good god (laughs) you know but yeah I mean another scene that I did as a top was with someone who um wanted to do a humiliation scene uh they had a traumatic brain injury several years before and what they wanted to play around was stuff related to their brain injury and how it impacted their coordination and their ability to move in their body. And that's hard. It's one of those areas where like, it's okay as a top to say no to that. And this was a super experienced player who was able to have a very good negotiation with me, able to plan for different outcomes. And we did a whole scene where they would like walk across the floor and I'd be like, I mean, we can tell by the way you're walking that there's something wrong here. Like, do you understand what balance even is? Show me a squat. Let's see. Oh, that's, it's adorable that you think your brain is functioning. Like the, <laughs> the places you can go to are horrifying. <laughs> and that person loved the scene. Loved it so oh much. Oh my God. Wow. It's, it's, it hits you. You're like, I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> but also, yeah. do I, like, I could also imagine if, you didn't believe like, you're like, yeah, this fucking happened. But like, I'm a great, I can walk, obviously, you know, it's like, you wouldn't believe that. So it's kind of funny and like, kind of like you can use it towards other things, like maybe to get turned on. But wow. Yeah, that would be, that would take some training <laughs> to know how far to go with and that. I think, well, and I think like in a scene, the way that everything feels is different than once the scene is closed Mm -hmm. because in the scene you're getting all of that, like in the moment feedback non-verbally and verbally from the person that you're playing with that like keeps building that vibe between you, right? So much of how I experience kink and sex is that the things that are hot and fun for the other person become super hot and fun for me because we have this beautiful feedback loop going on of like, it's getting them super amped, which gets me super amped, which gets them super amped. And we just get into it more and more. And I think with these scenes, you go to a place during the scene where like, you're seeing how good it's working for them and how, how hot it feels to be in that space, exploring this with them and poking at those like soft spots. And then you're done and you're like, Oh, my frontal lobes are fully back online. Wow. Did I go some places? Wow. Wow. 
Thank you for sharing yeah. so many stories Thank with you. us. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. One thing that's really sticking with me is when you were talking about like mixing in compliments, um, mm-hmm. because my partner hates compliments, d- gets really oh, uncomfortable God. with compliments. I love giving compliments to people who hate them because watching them squirm is the best thing in the world. Like so- suffering is one of my top kicks. <laughs> like I want them to suffer for me. I just want that. Just want that. So could that be its own form of humiliation? If like, even though you're just 100%. saying typically nice things, if it makes them feel embarrassed. If it makes them uncomfortable and embarrassed? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's so fun. You have to get his consent first to do that. Oh, I will. Yes. <laughs> but, but isn't it great how weird brains are that like you can be giving someone a compliment and that can be embarrassing for them and then you can be doing cake yeah. just by saying nice things to them, right? Like brains are so fascinating. It's why I love playing with them because there's so much mess in there. Like all of us are just so messy up in our brains Mm -hmm. and that creates so many opportunities for ways that we can play with it. And I think, you know, human beings as animals, the kinds of animals that we are, we need play to function. Play is a big part of how our brains process things and understand the world. It is essential to how we are able to live healthy, happy lives. And finding more ways to play and more things to play with, I think is such a great thing. And these pieces of us that we feel a little tender about, therapy is great for that. Like I love therapy. I'm a therapist. I will never say that people shouldn't go to therapy. But I think that therapy is not the only way. We get stuck in this idea of like this Western medicalized model is how you interact with the things that you're tender about or are hard for you. But what if you played about it instead? Like, what if you played about it? What if you fucked about it? What if you just interact with it in this different way that wasn't so like straightforward and serious all the time? Because we need all those pieces. We can't just do the one. Right. What if you fucked about it? I love that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That could be another sweatshirt one, Cass. Yes, it could. We're trying to think of... We've been thinking of fun sweatshirts. Oh, fun. What if you fucked about it? That, that totally makes sense too and i i'm gonna disassociate that i know jurgen really quick does he even get Mm -hmm. uncomfortable when you compliment him like in the bedroom like it like dirty talk in that way Uh like if you're like "Ooh, that's so good that feels amazing does that also no he doesn't get uncomfortable with that it's just more like compliments just like nice daily life (laughs) got it but like like if i make a comment about how he looks that's when mm. he tends to get like wiggly and like mm. no mm-hmm. he's like that's not true <laughs> so, so in a sexual realm right like mm-hmm. you could be like oh my gosh your arms look amazing with you over me like that i can't believe how hot your face is when you're really feeling this i think like, those kinds so of things beautiful little strands you can pull in you know Oof. yeah I was also thinking about, I remember like a very long time ago, one of our like very first guests was talking about how she was insecure about her belly for a long time. But then her partner started saying how much they love her belly during sex. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting. And I feel like that could tie into so many different things as long as you're getting yeah. consent and all of that. Totally. But your partner saying they love something that you maybe do not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of us, again, so many things about praise and shame and fear and insecurity and pride are all mixed up together. And I think for a lot of us, even just the act of having someone very particularly and explicitly touch the part of our body that we feel uncomfortable about 
can be such an interesting experience in the shame that it brings up in us and also the ways that it soothes that shame, right? And I think, again, that's a lot of what this is. It's about intentionally interacting with something that makes you uncomfortable. It's about bringing that purposefulness, that consciousness to the ways that we interact with, play with, and dance with the parts of ourselves that we're afraid of or we're uncomfortable with or we don't want to acknowledge we have or, you know, all of these pieces that that are scary, that it gives us a much more kind way to be with them mm. by being me, <laughs> right? Because brains are messy. They're so fucking weird. So fucking weird. And are there any physical ways to engage in all of this besides, you know, like if flogging oh, or absolutely. something? I mean, like, you can, like, licking toilets or shoes is super popular. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people find certain positions very humiliating. So one of the people who has done, like, short demos for me when I teach my humiliation class, uh, she finds it very embarrassing to, like, have me stand her up in front of the class, turn around and bend over. So they're just, like, looking at her clothed ass and pussy and, like, pointing out that everybody could see it if she wasn't clothed. Like, that alone is super embarrassing for her. Just having the way that her body is positioned. Uh, It could be clothing that people put on. Some people find, like, maybe it's the color that you think your skin looks terrible in, or maybe it's something that's just ill-fitting. Maybe it's something that is along those sissification lines, or uh, that is a type of look that you don't usually find yourself drawn to or feel really embarrassed to be seen in. Uh, There could be different ways that you interact with people around you. So sometimes at like kinky sex parties, there'll be someone wandering around with a bag of markers and you're, they'll walk up to strangers and ask if they'd like to write something on their body. Sometimes, sometimes it's a compliment. Sometimes it's an insult, but like just having people write stuff on your body could be a way to do it. There are so many ways, like anything that would make you feel a little bit embarrassed or uncomfortable, you could turn into a way of accessing this. Like, what if you go to the bathroom and you tuck your skirt into the back of your underwear and then come out, right? Like, you're still covered, it's still legal, but it's embarrassing. There's so many ways you can play with it. Even things like going out in public with a butt plug in might be along those humiliation or embarrassment lines for people. There's so many different ways that it can show up. Can you walk with a butt plug in? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think, Cass and I, you, we've talked about that, and we've been a little curious if you can move around. You can. Yeah, so it I depends really on how tried. your butt is shaped. So, like, depends on how much butt tissue you have. It also depends on what kind of plug you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most comfortable to keep in for a while and move around and walk around and sit in would be a plug like uh, B-Vibe makes the snug plug, which has a very narrow neck and then a nice, like, nice long, narrow base so that it sits cleanly between your cheeks, very comfortable and easy. Uh, Whereas something like a jeweled butt plug where it has the big round base, those are going to chafe the fuck out of your butt cheeks if you have any significant amount of meat back there. Uh So like, I think a lot of it has to do with materials, size, shape, but yeah, I've, I've gone out in public with all different kinds of things inside of me. It's totally possible. That's so cool. And also that jewel would like clink every time you sat down on like a <laughs> you have to be a little careful. Yeah, yeah. I've gone out with one that says daddy's girl on the base and you do have to be very it was a metal butt plug. You have to be very careful how you sit. Luckily I have a lot of padding, so like it was less of an issue for me than it might be for some other people. But yes, you have to be a little careful. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Well, that's great Love to it. know. Um because <laughs> we've had that question. So wow. 
this is like completely like changed my perspective on how I view humiliation, especially degradation. I could ironically or weirdly kind of see, even though I know that that one we're explaining is the most extreme, but humiliation has been the hardest for me to wrap my mind around. But this like completely changed, not, I don't know if I'd do it, but like it changed how I view it. Yeah. And again, like, you know, I think that with so many things that we talk about in the realm of kink, Mm -hmm. most people have some element of it, even at very small degrees, that they incorporate into their sex and sensual play. Most people aren't having like super totally vanilla sex all of the time. If you like a hand on your throat, you're a little bit into choking play. It's the very small end of the spectrum, but you're a little bit into it, right? And so I think it's it's similar here. If you like your partner making you squirm a little bit, you're a little bit into this kind of realm of play. Maybe at the lower end of the spectrum, but like that doesn't mean that you're zero into it because it's not, again, so many people I think think of kink as like only the like 10 out of 10 is the example of it. If you're into bondage, it means you want to do like full suspensions or you want to do like hook pull suspensions. It's like very extreme and hardcore when like sometimes you just have some fuzzy cuffs that say fuck me on them and that's fun for you. Right. Like it's all in the same family. It's just different amounts. Mm -hmm. Would being spit on be considered degradation or humiliation? It can be. It absolutely could be. (laughs) I was going to ask. I I love being spit on. It's great. It's so much fun. I do too. (laughs) Thank you. I was asking for a friend who happens to also be on this call. <laughs> who also happens to be on this call. I I did recently. Yeah, spitting could be part of it. Uh, I've done scenes where part of the scene is I have like a full face of makeup and I want them to ruin my makeup by the end of the scene. And having that like totally like fucked up makeup look at the end that I walk back up to my hotel room with is part of the scene. That like everybody seeing my fully ruined face of makeup. That's part of it. Wow. Right? There's so many ways it can show up. Abs yep. That there is. <laughs> I <laughs> I uh what I think it was <laughs> I'm trying to remember the summer, like it fucking matters. I realized that I liked being spit on <laughs> and I was like, that's fun. And then that whole TikTok sound of like spit in my mouth, spit in my mouth, which was a thing going around. I'm like, maybe I should Maybe I should try getting having spit in my mouth. You know, like maybe someone should just spit in my mouth. And then I had that happen, and I was like, "I like that." <laughs> so yeah, it it is interesting. Things can like grow and blossom. You know, <laughs> I mean, look for some people, playing with butts might be on like the humiliation play spectrum because it's dirty and taboo, and you're not supposed to touch a butt. Right, like rimming might be on that spectrum for people. There's a lot of different ways that it can go. Period sex might be on that spectrum. There's a lot, because again, this is not about the specific acts or words. It's about the way that you feel while you do it. It's about the experience that you have of it. And so I think that what's beautiful about the psychological realm of kink is that there is so much flexibility. It is a huge open field of options because anything that evokes that response in you can be part of it for you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Isn't that what we're here is just to like learn about the open fields. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I love that. Where can our listeners continue connecting with you after this episode? So my website is drlizpowell.com. 
I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Liz Powell. And I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Dr. Liz, I think. <laughs> I I'll double check the think. link. Um, <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll I'll send y'all a link uh, to put in the show notes that is a link to a Google Drive folder for folks who have come to my humiliation class. And so it has like a PDF of the slides that I use and then also a PDF of the handout that I give people that helps with negotiating your humiliation scenes. Oh, I love that. Amazing. That sounds Thank wonderful. Thank you so much. Hello, filthy whores. Did you enjoy all that was humiliation and degradation? (laughs) The what? The show. Oh, I thought you said the cup of Joe. I was like, well, I don't have any. Hmm. I wish. But wasn't that just so, so cool? And there are so many points that Dr. Liz made where like shame and sex wires cross that go Mm -hmm. fucking figure that this is such a prominent i guess kink that mm-hmm. you could explore go figure it's biological biological it's neurological <laughs> i like the way you're saying that thank you it's good stuff um thank you so much dr liz for being back on the podcast this week and thank you to our listeners for hanging out um second to last before our season break yeah, going on a little break. Um, not too much of a break because you'll still get two re-releases. We're going to go back into the archives, pull out ones we want to revisit this summer, and then we're going to do one little solo a month. So three three episodes still a month. Um, yes, you won't miss yeah. us too much. And then we'll be hot and heavy <laughs> me, ready for you beginning of September. <laughs> tell me how workaholics take a break <laughs> without telling me how workaholics take a break. Duh. They don't. Um, you can go ahead and share this episode with someone that you want to degrade or that you want to degrade you. Uh Um, you can also leave a written review on Apple podcasts. You can rate us on Apple podcasts on Spotify, uh, subscribe, follow all the good shit. You can watch us on, on the YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, on the YouTube, the YouTube here as a sneak peek to get you to try the YouTube. Here's my painting I just Mm -hmm. did. (laughs) Emma's an artiste. I Um, went to a happy hour paint and sip. mm -hmm. And you guys can see the masterpiece that is uh, a Sandy Shore. It's erotic, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least. I should just place it above my bed. Mm -hmm. It's titillating. And stare straight at it as I just ride a pillow. (laughs) As I mount a pillow. (laughs) As I mount a yoga bolster. Um... (laughs) On that note, we absolutely love you. And Mm. we will see you next week. Next week. Goodbye. Bye.